New York City. Hey, this is Michael, a BAI buddy from Brooklyn. WBAI, oh, WBAI, you're listening to WBAI, 99.5 FM, WBAI.org on the web. Listen and learn. And become a BAI buddy today. Hi, this is Jerry Stiller. You are listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org on the web. Where are my keys? Anybody see my keys? Who took my keys? And it is 7 p.m. You are tuned to two listener-sponsored non-commercial WBAI in New York City, 99.5 on the FM dial and streaming at WBAI.org. Time now, premiering in this new Sunday evening time slot, it's time for Talk Out of School. Up in the morning and out to school, the teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man You study him hard hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone And the guy behind you won't leave you alone Ring, ring goes the bell The cook in the lunchroom's ready to sell You're lucky if you can find a seat You're fortunate if you have time to eat my name is Laini Hameson. Happy New Year and welcome to our show, Talk Out of School on WBAI Radio 99.5 FM and WBAI.org, where we focus on issues affecting public schools here in New York City, the state level and nationally. Starting today, this show will be airing at a new day and time, Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard. And we're hoping listeners will call in with their thoughts on education and the hot button topics we're exploring each week. Our show is also available for download as a podcast. Usually we start with a recap of the local education news, but this week we're going to start in right away with our special guests, three independent-minded members of the Panel for Educational Policy, which is another name for the New York City School Board. We have with us this evening three longtime parent leaders, Tom Shepard of the Bronx, Tajin Azad of Brooklyn, Tazin Azad of Brooklyn, and Cherie Gibson of Queens. Welcome, folks. Thank you, Lainey. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Well, thank you for thank you for taking the time. We have two main topics we'd like to focus on today. The first being the controversial co-locations of several new success academy charter schools. And then I'll ask you how you would grade Mayor Adams on his first year in office running our schools. A little later in the show, we will also be welcoming callers to contribute their thoughts on these issues. Now, first, let's start with the charter collocations. The Success Academy charter chain is the largest, fastest growing, and probably the most controversial charter chain in New York City for many reasons I expect we'll get into later. There are four new Success Academy elementary schools that the DOE is proposing to co-locate in the buildings of existing public schools next fall and an expanding Success Middle School that is being given a new larger space. Even though the charter school cap was reached in New York City a few years ago, these new elementary schools were already authorized under the cap, and this charter chain, as well as others, keeps expanding its grade levels. Supporters of Success Charters say they need space to grow and that their students have some of the highest test scores in the city. 
The DOE also points out that by state law, they're obligated to either give space to charters in existing school buildings or help pay for their rented private space. Even though New York City is the only district in the state and indeed the entire country with this obligation, and I've seen no evidence that either Mayor Adams or the Chancellor have pushed to change this law. Opponents point out how these charter co-locations squeeze the space needed by existing public schools who are forced to give up classrooms, cluster rooms, science labs, and the link, sometimes forcing kids to eat lunch early in the morning and will prevent these schools from lowering class size. Two of these co-locations have already been approved by the Panel for Educational Policy, and there are three more co-location votes to come later this month on January 24th in Queens and January 25th in the Bronx. I'll put information about where those votes are being held and how people can weigh in their views on these issues. First, Tazine, you represent Brooklyn as a borough president appointee. Can you explain what the co-location proposal was for your borough that was already approved last month and why you and some panelists opposed it? Thank you so much, Lenny, and I'm so glad to be participating in your inaugural 7 o'clock time slot episode um, with a very, very important topic. Um, I'm just going to begin by saying that I think it's on public record by now from our last PEP meeting that that vote was a very difficult one for me, particularly um, because I uh, I am the community that was impacted by this co-location proposal for the building K-495. Um, so this is in Brooklyn South, um, and uh, it was previously uh, called the Sheepshead Bay High School campus. Um, it is now currently three school um, located, uh, New or I mean, Origins High School, um, a Professional Pathway High School, and a current charter school that is located there, New Vision Science um, Charter, I believe. Uh, and... If there was a previously uh, another new vision charter that was located there that had shut down and so had given um, that building some space. Uh, and lo and behold, um, Success Academy had put in a proposal to um, place uh, elementary charter school beginning with uh, the placement of K through uh, K through two uh, grades in that space. So, um, I mean, from the very get go, I think the very apparent and um, visible issue with that um, placement was that uh, the, the, this was an elementary school um, proposal to be placed in what happened always to be a high school campus. Um, and it came with all of the amenities of a high school, uh, you know, bigger cla um, classrooms with, uh, you know, uh, sitting, uh, seating uh, sort of allocation that are for older bodies. Um, and sort of accessibility issues that are for older uh, bodies, lunchrooms, everything that you could think of um, that is required for high school um, students was in that building. And what we saw um, through our walkthrough uh, of that building was that that space wasn't really, um, uh, really uh, sort of made to house young children. Now, this um, co-location was supposed to be proposed by placing this um, Success Academy in the third floor of the building. Um, so the kids would be um, sort of going up through two or three flights of staircases um, that was occupied by uh, high school high schoolers um, and particularly high schoolers for the professional pathway um, school that included uh, students from 16 to 21. 
of age. Uh, in addition, there were a couple of adult education programs that was in that space um, that these uh, younger students were proposed to be walking through. Um, and then finally, I think uh, one thing that uh, we heard resoundingly from the community, not just the schools that in participating, uh, that was located in that building, but the community at large was that um, the community was is, is sort of um, isolated uh, transportationally, and so a lot there are some housing right across the building from uh, from that campus. And uh, what they were looking for toward um, looking forward to perhaps was utilizing that space for um, more alternative um, learning spaces for uh, older students, uh, possibly a D seventy five school for or D seventy nine school. Um, the community also proposed something of a community space for that um, for that location, so that uh, you know um, new immigrants to um, to that uh, to that location in Brooklyn South, where uh, we have um, folks refugees from Ukraine and then um, Yemeni refugees coming in, uh, looking for a space for them to get uh, new opportunities in their uh, in their settlement. So with all of that, it just didn't make sense for the schools that was located in there and then the community surrounding and this includes um, existing elementary schools, public schools that didn't see a need for a success academy to be located over there. Um, and I'll just stop by saying that not too far away from that location, there is already an existing um, success academy, uh, success academy Bergen Beach, uh, which was already uh, sort of housing their elementary students over there. So um, at the, um, it was brought up to me by local elementary school principals that um, it was going to be hard for those schools to maintain their enrollment um, if a new success academy, especially specifically um, taking children in that grade band uh, would pose um, if, if it was uh, located. So I'm um, hearing from all of that and I could go on and on about a bunch of other uh, academic or educational impact um, nuance sort of top, uh, what do you call, uh, arguments. But in hearing all of that, I think uh, I myself, on behalf of the Brooklyn Borough President's Office, um, decided to vote no on that proposal, um, uh, you know, by the signals of all the uh, leadership um, in that space. Uh, and I was so proud that um, my Borough President's um, appointee here, Cherie Gibson, um, Tom Shepard, uh, and Calera Salas Ramirez also voted no on that vote, um, and the rest was a vote for the co-location. So we should explain that um, the panel, as it's currently constituted, has a supermajority of mayoral appointees that almost always vote with whatever the administration um, proposes. Not always, but nearly always. Um, and, and, and when you mentioned District 75 and District 79, I just want to make sure our listeners understand District 75 are programs for uh, severely disabled kids, uh, students, and District 79 are alternative high schools. And I think the, uh, the city controller's um, uh, um, representative on the panel also mentioned the need for more District 75 seats and that that would be a better use of that um, space. Cherie, let's let's go to you because there are three uh, Queen schools that are potentially facing, or three Queen's buildings and many many schools that are uh, facing uh, potential co-locations. One of them, Waterside Leadership, 
Um, it was already approved that uh, an expanding middle school would go into the building. And then there are two more um, buildings where uh, new success <coughs> elementary schools are being proposed to co-locate. Can you talk, and these those two are going to be voted on, um, I think, January 24th. Can you talk about those proposals and what your view is of those proposals? Mm-hmm. Um Thank you, Lainey. So yeah, the Southeast Queens has been dealing with this for years and we, you know, lost the vote barely, um, for Waterside, uh, because even though it's existed and move, it's also what we keep saying about these co-locations. They start off as one thing, one size. I'm so appreciative of Alyssa O'Shea, who is CCHS rep for Queens High School coming on the PEP to state. I was here as a CEC member when they first wanted this co-location and it was only supposed to be an elementary. And we said, then you're going to come back years later and want more and want more space and want more. And so said it so happened. And, you know, we are disappointed by the vote for uh, district 27 for that one, but we also kind of knew that one wasn't as like these two proposals coming up because there was an existing co-location moving out. This was putting in apples to apples in terms of middle school with middle school. And so, so a lot of the things that could have been factors to push the vote a different way weren't necessarily as in place as these next two co-locations. So the next two co-locations, uh, which is building seven, uh, Q072, which is Count Basie, um, middle school, Redwood Middle School and our District 75 site there, as well as, uh, building 420, which is the high school, uh, Springfield Gardens educational campus. Um, these are two very controversial in our community in Southeast Queens because number one, the space that is being stated is available in there. No one sees this, right? <laughs> it's like no one is seeing this space, all this additional space and seats. So that that's one thing. But then you have a middle school, you have two middle schools in a D75 site who are making it work in this building, who have just gotten two of the, the two middle schools have just gotten magnet grants that require, have certain things that are required of them to do. So this is a principal has come in, turned around the view of her school, is bringing up the scores, bringing up the stats, the community is supporting it. They're working together. And now you want to throw in another another school into this middle school, an elementary school into this middle school. And the amount of space that wants to be taken up is going to severely impact the current schools, as well as the growth that is necessary to for them to keep the grants, right? So everything- Right, so that one about. of the provisions of the grant is that they should have to increase their enrollment. Yes. And yet this co-location may prevent them from doing so. Yeah. When I look at it, it is going to impact that, right? Because you had people in the joint public hearings, and I thank Tazim um, Azar for coming on with those and others, other of our pet members to hear directly from the community, is you heard people were like, if you put another kid, another school in this building, we're out. So now her enrollment may be, that principal's enrollment may be impacted by another school coming in where people are like, that's just too much for us. We don't want it, right? Then you have Springfield Garden Campus, which is, is it four, four or five high schools? I think it's four high schools um, already existing, making it work. 
and you want to bring in not another high school. You want to bring in an elementary school into the middle of this campus, right? In Tampa. I don't care how you work it out. They come through different staircases. That Anybody that has been in that community and has watched when that school releases, it is high school kids around the community and their high school. So you're now going to put these elementary kids amongst these high school kids, which I'm not, it's not so much even like a safety thing or they'll be, I'm just like, that is not the environment that they should just be in. Elementary schools should be able to be in a school of their own, their building, do fix, not fix, but situated for them, you know, and high school kids should be in a building of their own situated for them, right? So we have those two, those two, campuses dealing with these issues where everyone keeps saying, or at least, you know, lead DOE leadership, oh, co-locations are our thing. You know, we've always had them. We don't, no, we didn't. There's those of us who grew up in Asia. We didn't always have co-locations. They became a thing during a certain administration. And then we keep doing that. And every principal that I've spoken to from not just the impacted school, just others, they all say, you know, no, we make co-locations work, but it's not our preferred, you know, then we prefer to be in a building that we control. And it was so interesting to hear like how one principal, one school can make a co-location a nightmare, can make it a break because they don't want to be flexible. They don't want to be, you know, kind of thing. These two schools are actually, these two buildings are actually doing okay because they're all now getting along. And they're all working together, but they haven't always been because of different leadership styles. And so then, but they're all DOE. So they all have to follow these certain rules and regulations. But then you put in a charter who does not have to follow those things, who is not controlled, who can pretty much say, no, we're not going to give you the use of this room or this space, or no, we're not going to do that. And it changes up your whole thing. So for us, it's not for for us in Queens. It's like it's, it's we're the positives of having this co-location. You're pushing into a built to buildings that don't have the space, not like 27's what Waterside was. They these ones don't have the space. You talk about rooms not being utilized. Not, we did walk rooms. We didn't see no rooms not being utilized. You know, kind of thing. Can so, you talk about the phys ed class of the District oh 75 God. school. So at uh, Building 72 for the middle schools, the District 70, because the shared space, right, with co-locations, you have your own sets of classrooms and labs and things, but you co- you share the public spaces, cafeterias, gyms, um, I'm not, the whole list can't go. Auditorium. Remember it. Yeah, thank you. Auditorium. I'm, I'm seeing it and couldn't find the word. Auditorium. So bathrooms. here, here, here at bathrooms. Um, well, here success does not share its bathrooms with anybody. No, it doesn't. It has its own uh, set of bathrooms if you've ever been through their school. But here at this school, just now, with the two middle schools and the D75 school site um, there, they do not have enough, a, a big enough space or enough space. I would say enough space in terms of how they do programming to do D75 needs a certain amount of space at a certain amount of time for their gym. They don't have the space to do that. So they converted a locker room, what is supposed to be a locker room for the D75 to have their gym, their gym time and their gym place. Now I applaud the creativity of using it. I am disgusted at the fact that they had to do that, right? Because 
of the way the situation of the way it is and what it is, and they're hoping to shift up and get to like there's things that we could be doing, space planning could be doing to help them figure it out so they don't have to be in a locker room, which already limits what you can do. And D75 needs a certain amount of space and ability to do the things they do. And I do want to highlight and say, because I don't want to take anything away from the other things, because even um, Tom was on that tour walkthrough with me. We were in the cafeteria when they were doing a transition, even watching that transition between two schools and the kids come in and telling us they have to eat at this early time and they only have this amount of time and they have to stay on the schedule because, and if they have like that day where it was too cold to go outside, figuring out where they can go for recess and who can go and where it was such, it's well done, but it's such on a time. Any class delays anybody late or anything. And we're human. We're, you know, moving in and out. And I'm like, how are you going to do this? This is what they're dealing with, just those these three. How are they going to do this with another school that who does not have a schedule anywhere similar to them and doesn't have to make any adjustments in their system because they're not under our bandwidth. And so, right. And, so, and success is not known for its collaborative uh, nature. Uh, with not other from, schools. Not Tom, from what I've heard, no. Yeah. So what about the success elementary school that's planned for District 11 in the Bronx? What are your thoughts about that? Um, thank you for um, uh, for the question. So um, I'm going to start this one by uh, giving a little background of the school, right? So this is in District 11. And um, I will say that District 11 is is near and dear to me because before I served on the uh, panel for educational policy, I served on the, uh, the community education council for district 11 uh, and the, the Richard R. Green campus uh, X113 uh, was one of my liaison schools. So I know this building well. And um, uh, what I can tell you is um, a lot of times we have these conversations uh, in the context of, uh, a single building or, you know, the one of two schools within a building, but we don't have these conversations in the context of a community or a district. And um, I think we need to understand what what's happening in District 11 and why uh, this particular co-location can have impacts, not just in the uh, Richard R. Green uh, campus building, but across the district. So in District 11, you have 45 schools and 70% of those schools are overcrowded. And, um, and, and there has been a historical shortage of roughly seven to 800 middle school seats. And, um, uh, a couple of years ago, there were three schools in the, the Richard R. Green campus, and one of them, um, uh, one of them closed. So it freed up space within that building. Now, with a shortage of seats throughout the district, um, I think what the community was expecting, right, was for that space to be um, used, uh, one to help ease the, the burden on other middle schools within the district, right? Because you have some middle schools um, that are running at or above their capacity. Um, and then you had some that were not. 
and well, most were running above their capacity and a, a couple were not. So what the community was expecting uh, when uh, the school, the other school closed in, in the building was to be able to spread that capacity out in such a way um, where the schools that were overcrowded could have some relief and that excess capacity could be um, uh, absorbed into uh, Leaders of Tomorrow and the North Bronx School of Empowerment uh, in uh, the campus. Now, there's that part of it. And then there is uh, uh, the challenges in the district in terms of uh, academic performance, right? So this particular part or section uh, of District 11 is Olinville. And, you know, District 11 is an interesting district where you have like Co-op City and City Island where the outcomes are very different. And then you have like the Olinville-Wakefield section uh, where the outcomes are much lower. And a lot of that has to do with um, the fact that uh, the schools surrounding um, uh, X113, uh, uh, you know, have uh, like over-enrollment, like overcrowding issues uh, in addition to uh, uh, less experienced teachers and uh, this revolving door of teachers, et cetera. Um, that Higher really, poverty rates also. Yes, right. Because the, the, the school that I was the PTA president at was in that neighborhood and it had the highest economic need uh, in the entire district, right? So 97% of the students were um, uh, low income or poor. And, um, you know, when you take all of that and, and just kind of put it into the context of a district, uh, when that school left, well, that and when you now move those students from elementary school into middle school, right? Um, those The middle schools need additional resources, right? So um, they need additional space. They need additional uh, teachers, um, you know, and, and when this school moved out, they saw this as an opportunity to be able to reconfigure the school in a way, um, the building in a way where it would be able to provide these services, right? So if we have uh, more ICT classrooms, right? If we have uh, more ICT classrooms with fewer students, right? Then you can have- Right, so this is, gets to one of the points that I really wanted to explore a little bit more with you folks. Um, this is Lainey Hampson on Talk Out of School on WBAI, and I'm talking to three members of the Panel for Educational Policy on school co-locations. One of the things that I, I really think these proposals do not take into account, and I'd love to hear your views on it, are, are the fact that number one, um, a lot of these schools, the students have higher needs levels objectively than the Success Academy schools moving in in terms of their percentage of kids in poverty, kids with special needs, and also English language learners, and those students often need more space and smaller classes than um, your average student, and that's not really taken into, into account. But even more importantly, we have a new law on the books that's going to require all these schools to lower class sizes to much lower levels. And I've looked at the class sizes of all these schools, and on average, their class sizes are far above the new caps in the law. And I don't see that taken into account anywhere in these proposals. 
Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Tom and, and um, Tazine and Sheree? Yeah, so, you know, I think the, the next part of what, you know, like continuing from where I just left off, the next part of it answers this question, right? And that is when the school was reconfigured, um, what they did was, uh, first of all, in both the schools in that building are community schools, right? Um, New York Edge is the uh, lead CBO in the building. So they reconfigured reconfigured the building in a way where they brought all the uh, community school admin spaces down to the first floor, right? And then they reconfigured the floors above them to be able to provide um, uh, more educational space, right? And um, so what happens when we don't take into consideration how spaces are being used and what they're being used for and the type of school that's in a space, um, you know, it the the impact on a community uh, that does have these additional needs, right? Um, I can tell you um, about the schools in this building also um, that princip- the, the principals are being given a tall order, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of students come into the school that are, you know, one, two, and sometimes three years below grade level. And then they're expected to be able to produce uh, students that graduate middle school uh, that are ready for high school, which means you have principals in three years expected um, to produce six years of progress. And um, that is just, you know, it, it's not possible when the spaces are not configured or designed in a way that allows for that to happen. So, you know, very quickly, um, you know, I think that as we have these conversations, it's not just kind of the bean counter part of it, right? Where it's like, we have this much space and this much classrooms. It's like, what type of classrooms, how are those classrooms being used? What are the needs of the community in terms of academic need? I think we need to ask a, a, a broader range of questions. And the last part of that is the community understands that, right? And it's why they um, are opposed or, or have expressed concern, I won't say oppose, I'll let them speak for themselves during the general public hearing and during the PEP meeting, uh, but they have expressed concerns that um, the school building uh, in the way that it, uh, this co-location is being uh, forced on them uh, doesn't allow for um, the school, the principal, um, the principal's uh, to be able to provide the the level of academic uh, services that they need. And the last thing I'm going to add into that is if you know the, well, uh, when you see the building, there's uh, something that's missing from this building, and that is outdoor space, right? So there's one, the, there's a lot of these old DOE buildings, right, that are shaped like big donuts, right? And like right in the middle of the building, there's like a courtyard, and you have this little tiny courtyard that these two schools share. There's no like track or fields for them. There's a park across the street, but there's no real space, outdoor space for these students. And, um, you know, introducing or forcing another, uh, uh, this co-location on this school uh, limits the ability for these students to have outdoor space even more. Thanks. Yeah, and, I, and I wonder why um, Success Academy is so eager to go into a space with no playground and no outdoor space for their students. And I'm wondering why they 
so often seem to want to go into middle school or high school buildings? Um, is that because that's what they've been offered? Is that because they are the buildings that are supposedly underutilized? Is it because sometimes these buildings have facilities like a science lab and specialized rooms that they really covet? Um, does anybody have a theory on that? I could, I mean, um, since I just went through that, that specific scenario, I think I could speak a little bit to it and then Sheree, you could hop in because you're going to be facing this coming up, right? Um, it, it, you know, it, that was one of the pushbacks that I heard from, um, from the Chief Sahib, uh, uh, campus, Bay campus is that, um, that school is, it reeks of high school. They have 40 some PSL, um, PSAL programs in that building. Um, there, uh, there are no playgrounds for younger students. And like I mentioned, kindergartners walking up three flights of um, stairs doesn't really, you know, forget playtime. Um, how you get these kids up and down on a regular basis, uh, you know, it, even that's not coming in, into consideration. The part that um, I'm going to, like, you know, there's been some a discrepancy as to how um, this, these spaces are selected. Um, that has come up a couple of times for me personally. I asked um, at my walkthrough, how do they, why did they pick this space, particularly knowing that this is, you know, this is so much of, a, you know, a high school spaces. And then I think Tom walked that space too. Um, there's, um, there, the floor that they're going to be occupying has science labs with um, gas uh, lining within it. There are graduated seatings for uh, older students. Um, so like in an in a elementary space, that just wouldn't fly code-wise. Um, and bathrooms that are not, uh, you know, a, 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 that won't accommodate younger students. Uh, even the lunchroom spaces, uh, in the, the cafeteria stalls are higher than, um, you know, for older students than they are for younger students. All of these things, you know, how, why did they choose this space? Um, and the DOE representative there told um, me, it was like, you know, they don't choose anything. They haven't walked this space at all. It's that they just see numbers, and these are the numbers that we have shown to them, and they have proposed um, to enter this space. So, uh, And then meanwhile, we heard from on the public sta um, public statement period and uh, during PEP from Success Academy parents that it is DOE who's proposing these spaces to Success Academy. Um, so th there is there is a you know a conf conflict as far as who is doing this proposal, who's coming up with um, this these choices to begin with, uh, and I think that's something that we need to get to bottom with of it. Shree, you want to hop in? I see. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I'm gonna wrap up the from what you asked about the class size, Laney, and mm -hmm. and. This but I'm going to start with this. Um, I've said this and I'm okay with it because I've said it on a joint public hearing is public record. This is Success Academy's business model is the co-locate, right? That's, there's no overhead for them if they co-locate. And if you want, and so my theory, conspiracy theory, if you want, the fact is if I'm putting a school in as elementary and I want it to grow to a middle school, I need to be in a middle school or high school building. I need to start off there. I can't start off in an elementary school and then expand that into a middle school. Uh, Cause you know, middle school, they need, they're, they're bigger, they need that. So I think you pivot and you always look at middle schools and high schools because even though I'm bringing a K through four in, if I need to grow it and expand, I can 
I'll get my numbers, but I'll also already have a building that can accommodate us, right? We've put, there's more space, larger spaces in middles and high schools because of, you know, the- They're the, larger uh, buildings. Right, and who's going to be in them. Well, also the small schools models impacted our middle schools and our high schools more than elementary schools. And so this, you know, formula for underutilization gets impacted by them, right? So that's, that's and that's purely Cherie Gibson theory, you know, like kind of thing. It but, is true um, that the DOE has found in some of these cases, empty parochial school buildings for success, which they have rejected and would prefer to be in a co-located building. I think part right. of the reason you're is right, Cherie, what you say is about they get so many services, they get the janitors, they get the school guards, they, they get all of that stuff. They get the overhead as well as the building when they're in a DOE space. And even though they have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in their budget, they would prefer to save that money. Correct. And, the, and you know, um, in terms of, our buildings and our buildings, one of the things that many parents and many community and elected leaders have brought up to DOE is about the class size matter mandate, right? And so how how are you addressing those with these co-locations? Like, okay, there's this utilization, you know, you're saying this building, these buildings can hold these numbers, but this is still based on not adhering to that law yet, right? And so they never answer that. They obfuscate off of that. But I think for me, it's it's short-sighted of DOE because it's like, well, we don't have to deal with that problem right now, so we're not going to, right? We have time. We have time before we have to implement that. Instead of planning, start off here, right? You're supposed to be planning for that because I also think there's somewhere in the back of their head. It starts next fall, which is pretty soon, but Correct. they're right in that the first year or two may be easier because we have about 30% of classes that adhere to those guidelines now. Sometime in the second or the third year, it's going to get really tough. The fourth and the fifth year, it's going to be impossible unless they start planning now, which is one of the reasons why we are pushing them to have a task force to start that planning process. Do you mind but, if I add something to this one? Um, sure. So I also look at this like, you know, added value, right? So, you know, when you talk about communities that have um, uh, additional needs, right? Um, You know, are we looking at sort of short-term, long-term solutions that add value um, uh, to our, to our communities, right? And um, what I'm what I'm discovering here is, you know, there's this short sighted um, let's, uh, you know, force these co-locations in schools to be able to satisfy some aspect of uh, a rather um, unfair law. Right. And uh, and then what you end up with is. Um, no added value to the community, right? So you have, uh, for example, uh, in in uh, uh, the proposal for the Bronx, that's a that's a neighborhood school, right? And when you introduce a charter school into the mix, where students don't necessarily live in the community, right? Not only 
are you taking away space? You're also taking away value from the community, right? Because these are schools that students will not have access to, right? And and what does that end up doing? What it ends up doing is taking uh, a situation where you have uh, uh, an overcrowded district and you make it even more overcrowded because some of the students will be coming from out of the district to attend schools in a neighborhood school in a neighborhood that is experiencing overcrowded schools. So thank you for this. Um, this is Laini Hameson on Talk Out of School on WBAI 99.5 FM at WBAI.org. Um, we've been talking about charter school co-locations and some of the, the drawbacks about some of the proposals that are on the agenda that have already been approved but are on the agenda for this month's uh, two PEP meetings. Um, now let's turn to another subject, um, which is Mayor Adams' first year in office. As an education leader, he does have mayoral control. In an article in the city, he gave himself a B plus. Um, listeners, if you have comments on what grade you'd like to give the mayor or if, uh, on our previous subject on the charter school co-locations, please do call in. The number to call is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Um, first, let's go to you, Tazine. If you were going to give the mayor a grade on his first year in office, uh, what grade would you give him and why? Very interesting. Um, I'm going to begin by saying that uh, I'm cognizant of the fact that he gave himself a B. Um, B plus. B plus. Okay. Um, he gave himself a B plus, which, you know, um, I come from the uh, from the thought uh, where we, you know, if we were to equate it to a classroom and a student getting a grade, um, I come from the school where, uh, you know, we center student um, in these type of evaluations, right? So I'm cognizant of the fact that he did grade himself like that and which, which you know, possibly and hopefully gives a lot of room to grow um, and build. And I'm actually looking forward to um, those building and growing opportunities going forward. Um, you know, let's be honest, you know, we just, it's very, it's going to be difficult for me to just say a single grade as opposed to um, when it comes to so many different policies that has come out this entire year. Um, and then they fall very, very uh, uniquely in very nuanced manners in different spaces. And Brooklyn is no exception to that. Uh, and so I think I'm going to lean on the folks of Brooklyn that have been very, very vocal as on what they think and thought uh, of the mayor's performance around education. Um, and I think my board president's office has also been uh, very vocal on that. So I'm going to lean on that. Uh, and I'm going to look forward to the growth and the, and the, and sort of the opportunity to collaborate going forward on that. That's going to be my comprehensive grade that I'm going to give him. I didn't hear a grade. Did I miss it? I, I believe in a comprehensive grading system. Okay. And so you don't want to give any of the components and what that would average off off of? Are, are we talking a C, a B, a minus, somewhere in there? Well, I can't. I, I would think that I would need to have a consensus and a, and a buy-in from my entire community for me to put okay. my so you're not entire ready. vote on. Yeah. Okay. All right, Cherie, what about you? 
Okay, so I, I, when I saw that, I saw that article and I saw it and I giggled to myself because I, this, this is how I knew how I'm so impacted around educators because I was like, well, what was the rubric for that grade? What built that grade? Like what percentages was your projects, your homeworks, you, you know, your tests, like, you know, what was used to, to, uh, build up to that grade. So I will say this because I'm not an educator and I'm not a thing. I appreciate that the mayor was reflective enough to look at, you know, his year and what moves he's made or not made to, um, to. And to be honest, he was grading himself on all issues, not just education. Correct. Just not, it, and yeah. that's, and that's another part for me because I'm like, a part of it is like, okay, am I just grading on education or am I just grading, which still for, goes for, back for to. Today, let's just do education. Um, that's difficult enough. So, you know what? I'm, I'm of the same mind as Tazine in terms of like, I don't, I don't know that the, there is a grade that I could give you that would be fair. I would look at it as this way. And I say that the mayor as other elected officials have ideas of what they're going to do and how a situation is before they get into office. And then they get into office and see the reality of what they what their situation is and then have to start dealing with that and have to start looking at how they respond to it. And so I instead for me a grade, I would love to know what you learned. What are the lessons that you learned it uh, kind of thing? Like what did you, what worked, what didn't, and how can you improve and get better on that and stuff? So for me, it's like, I don't have a grade kind of thing because I don't, I, I understand that people are greater than just a grade in a class assessments, everything tries to do that. But I do would like to have the discussion more about what worked and what didn't and what, if it didn't work, what lessons did you learn? How are you going to improve on that and stuff? And I would say that you need to do a little bit more in terms of classroom participation. <laughs> so one of the things the chancellor has said that surprises him is how parents feel shut out. And I, that surprises me that he didn't know that after, you know, being an advocate and a parent leader myself for 20 years, it's been a recurring refrain through every mayor that we've had since mayoral control and probably before that as well. So I was surprised that he was surprised at that. Tom, can you quickly give us uh, your thoughts? We have apparently six callers on the line, so we want to leave some time for them as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to um, uh, say that I, I agree with uh, uh, Cherie and Tazine. I think I will probably answer it a little different. So instead of looking at like, uh, uh, you know, A, B, C, D, F grade, right? Or mm -hmm. a pass fail grade. I think I would more look at this as incomplete. And, and I say incomplete because, um, again, you know, we are talking about issues that really affect, um, uh, students now and for generations to come, right? And until we, um, have policies uh, uh, until we have policies and and resources in place that address those issues in a way where our students succeed, uh, then our work isn't done. And if our work isn't done, like usually you get a grade on complete work. And right now we're in a space where um, this work is not done. There's still so much to do. So I think uh, for me, uh, incomplete. Um, and that's not in a negative way, right? That's in the, the mayor was really reflective in 
Uh, and I agree with that, right? Like he assessed himself. So there's no need for me to say, you know, you deserve an A or B or like that. I don't think that's the important part. I think the important part here is just to acknowledge that there's uh, so much more to do. And as long as there's so much more to do, then our work isn't done. And if our work isn't done, then I think an incomplete uh, is an appropriate grade. Tom so said the take- mayor got to go to summer rising. Enrichment. <laughs> That's what Tom said. <laughs> Which may not have worked out so well either. Um, so let's take a couple calls. Uh, caller, um, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Um, do you have a comment on either the mayor's grade or these charter co-locations? Hi, Lainey. Um, yeah, this is Jake. Uh, I'm a teacher. I work in District 11, um, and I do have a comment. Um, you know, recently, um, my school, a couple of weeks ago, my school took in some students that were rejected from local charter schools um, because of behavior issues. Um, but, you know, those kids come to us. Um, a little bit later in the year after our routines are already established. And, um, you know, to say that they have high needs, um, you know, is an understatement. Uh, I have one student in particular who um, has a very hard time sustaining uh, desk work, sitting in a chair, staying in the same classroom. Um, So it really, um, you know, monopolizes our resources. And my question is, how come these charter schools are not equipped to um, serve these children and, you know, they just kind of dump them off on the local public schools and then they try to compare themselves to the public schools that are, um, you know, serving these kids. And we've, and I've been doing this my whole career, kids coming from success late in the year, um, you know, and uh, it, it, it makes our job you know, that much more difficult because we're already overcrowded and we're already shorthanded. Um, as, it, as it pertains to the um, uh, Richard Barnes building and the um, uh, 113 campus, um, there is going to be a rally uh, this Wednesday from 3.30 to 4.30. Um, I found out about this because I'm the delegate in my school and um, uh, all teachers are invited to come, um, parents, uh, activists, students, whoever would like to come and bring some signs. Um, it's 3710 Barnes Avenue. Um, it's a building I used to teach in. Um, and so, uh, you know, I know the community a little bit. Um, I think the last thing they need is a success academy charter school in that building. Um, but, um, you know, well, thank you for that. Thank you for that information. I think this is a really important point. Success is known for pushing out kids, especially kids with uh, disabilities or behavior problems. And in fact, um, there was a federal lawsuit where success had to pay $2.4 million for violating student rights. And this is a recurrent pattern that I really think should be taken into account um, when you're talking about allowing them to expand um, and, and move into other school buildings where, you know, for example, Leadership Academy, where there's going to be, if, if this goes through, a, a Success Academy middle school has already seen some kids in their schools that were already pushed out by the Success Academy middle school that is potentially moving into their building. And they have direct uh, parents in the, who, who've talked to me about that. Um, how about another call? Um, uh, 
Can you tell us your name, where you're from, and, and what you'd like to talk about? Hi, it's Judith from the Upper West Side. I would, I, I agree. I would give, I would give the mayor an incomplete. Um, and we are now in the midst of a battle over preserving or gutting Section 12.126. This is the Medicare. He wants to shove down our throats. Medicare advantage. Our union leader has betrayed us because he's going along with it. It's right. incumbent upon everyone. Each one of you, please call your council person. We are going to and say preserve twelve dash one twenty six. And and thank you for your comment, Yes, thank you for your comment, uh, Daniel. My co-host had a whole show on the Medicare Advantage issue a couple of weeks ago, and that has been much in the news. I think we have time for one more call. Now at nine thirty, um, we're going to show up at City Hall. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you for you. that information. Uh, one more call. A caller, could you tell us your name, where you're from, and what you're what you're interested in, in commenting on? Hi, my name is Tanika Seaborn. I'm the PTA president of one of the schools to be co-located in in Springfield Gardens. And, thank you for um, calling. I would definitely give um, the mayor an F because he's failing our students. He's not coming into our school and having like a town hall, talk to the parents, talk to the community, see what the community is like, see what the school is like. They're only counting numbers. Our kids need the space to grow. They have a lot of programs that they want to expand. And right now, walking that building with DOE last week, there was no available space for Success Academy. They are babies. We are not saying success don't have good education. Allow our kids to have that same education just like your kids. We need the space to grow. We need to expand. Our class size, some of them can't go above 10 because we don't have the space. Well, thank you for calling in. And I really, we really appreciate um, your point of view. And, and we'll be putting in the resource section of the blog and also on the website um, of the WBAI how people can weigh in on this issue um, at, the, at the PEP meeting at the end of the month, at the two PEP meetings. Um, sadly, we're pretty much out of time, even though we have a lot more calls on the line. Maybe we can do another show on this. Um, next week or the week after. Um, hey, Blaney, I really, yeah. Do you mind if I, I just want to say one thing and, and sure. I'll make it quick, I promise. Sure. So there, there are two things that the, the uh, callers brought up, right? One was really like, we have to have a different conversation about what growth means, right? I think we talk about growth in terms of the number of students instead of the quality of education that they're getting. And I think, you know, I, I, I appreciate the, um, the PA president's perspective on that, right? Like we're not talking about growth in the right way. And I also want to just say, uh, to Jake, the, um, uh, the teacher in district 11, thank you, right? Um, you know, again, knowing district 11 the way that I do, the, like we have a lot of needs and, and, you know, we have teachers that, um, are committed and and really work hard to give our students what they need. And I just want to say thank you 
uh, to Jake and all the teachers in, in our districts who uh, really do fight hard every day to make sure that our children get the uh, the quality education and the, the services, love and care that they need. Oh, thank you to our teachers. Thank you, Tazine, Cherie, and Tom, for being with us tonight and talking about these important issues. Uh, this is Lainey Hameson, host of Talk Out of School on WBAI. Our show is also available as a podcast. Also, please consider becoming a member of WBAI or a special supporter of this show. Talk Out of School by calling 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. There's no other show on the air that deeply delves into the issues affecting our schools like this one. You can also contribute online at WBAI.org. Uh, we need the support of listeners to keep going as one of the only non-commercial, purely membership-supported radio stations in New York City that does not run any ads. I'll be back soon with another episode of Talk Out of School. Until then, be careful and be safe. And thanks so much for listening and calling in today. And thank you to my guests. Up in the morning and out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man. You study them hard and hoping to pass. Working your fingers right down to the bone. Leonardo Flores. I'm part of Code Pink's Latin American team, and we're trying to raise money to pay for the rent for the tower at Four Times Square. That's how we're able to broadcast to you. And a reminder that this is listener-supported radio. It's community radio. It's independent radio. One of the few places where you can go to hear the truth about U.S. foreign policy, policy of death and destruction and militarism. Please, please donate. Go to call 212-209-2950 to donate. Call, please. The number is 212-209-2950. You can also donate online at WBAI.org. We have this really incredible opportunity in the next couple of years to fuse the peace and the climate movements together because you can't have one without the other. And how are you going to learn about that if not by supporting this incredible radio station, WBAI? Again, the number is 212-209-2950. Please call and donate what you can. You can also do it online at WBAI.org. Together we'll make these. They code war. We say code peace. WBAI's local station board, the Pacifica Foundation Board, responsible for advising management and operations, is holding its next meeting on Wednesday, January 11th at 7 p.m., and you are invited to attend. The LSB expects to elect its Pacifica National Board members at the meeting. They will represent WBAI on the national level. It's immediately essential that Pacifica Network stations, WBAI included, find their financial footing. If we fail to distinguish ourselves, increase our donating listener audience, our already shoestring budget and outstretched staff will likely be cut, and vitally important assets may get sold. But the LSB is working to ensure that a robust WBAI 99.5 FM remains where you can find it, at 99.5 FM in the center of the dial. 
Again, the LSB meeting is January 11th at 7 p.m. on Zoom. The meeting includes an opportunity for public comment. The fastest and easiest way to join a meeting is by using the link on the Pacifica calendar at kpftx.org and on the WBAI website, wbai.org. You can also access the meeting by calling 929-205-6099. That's 929-205-6099. And enter this meeting ID, 922-457-2995. That's 922-457-2995. The password is 99.